Welcome to Get a Grip with Shane Bacon, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, hey, welcome to the Get a Grip podcast. I'm your host, Shane Bacon. I got a fun one. I think it's a little uh, insider golf episode this week that I think you're going to enjoy. Stephen Proctor uh, joins the program. We're talking Scottish golf. We're talking the old Tom Morris Trail uh, it's something new to Scottish golf travel. There are 18 old Tom Morris designs involved in the trail, and it's a, a pretty spectacular undertaking if that's something that you're interested in. And there will be details to follow. So uh, give that a check if you haven't already. couple of items before we get to Mr. Proctor. Uh, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast at least a dozen times, maybe more. But uh, I wrote a children's golf book. It's called The Golfer's Zoo. It's available to order now. If you go to Back Nine Press, nine the number, backninepress.com backslash bacon, you can order it right there. And uh, getting a lot of good feedback, I'll be honest with you. I, um, I'm getting pictures of kids getting the book read to them by their parents. Uh, a friend of mine sent me a text today and said their neighbor was taking the book to school for show and tail day, which uh, is uh, a pretty special thing to hear. Uh, I've only cried like 400 times over the last couple weeks from these images and stuff people are sending me. But it's a great gift. The holidays are coming up. So a great gift to send to the golf parent in your life, uh, somebody in your family that's expecting. Uh, just a reminder, back9press.com slash bacon to order it. One more item. Uh, I have a logo company that I started with Kate Smith about a year ago. It's called Ground Under Repair, and we do logo designs for golf courses, but also for buddies trips. Uh, we've done a lot of that over the last year, and that is something extremely popular. If you're someone that goes on a golf trip every year or has been going on golf trips for years, you need a logo. Like Everybody wants to wear the clothes from the trip, right? So hit us up. Uh, go to our website. It's gurdesigns.com, G-U-R, like Ground Under Repair, designs with an s.com and uh hit us up on that and we can help you out with the logo design uh if your golf course needs a revamp there's definitely been other clubs that we worked on that maybe needs an upgrade you know pro shop sales are going to go up if you get a new logo that people actually want to buy and wear so uh something to think about if your club needs help if you need help if your group needs help uh, hit us up gurdesigns.com that is the business for the day hope you guys are having a great week hope you guys are getting ready and not getting too stressed out about Thanksgiving. We're just a few days away. Um, got a couple of more episodes coming your way in November and then got some fun stuff coming your way in December. Also, helping out with Kyle Porter in his second volume of Normal Sport. I'm doing the audio reading for it. So this microphone that I'm holding right now that you cannot see, I have been holding for the better part of a week, and I will continue to hold it until I finish this book. It's an honor to be a part of Normal Sport. Porter does a great job with that. So be on the lookout for that as well. All right, let's get to Stephen Proctor. Well, pumped to be joined by Stephen Proctor. You can follow him on Twitter at S Proctor Golf. That's P R O C T O R Golf. S Proctor Golf on Twitter. And uh, there are golf trips, Mr. Proctor, and there are serious golf trips. We've been talking on the pod about the old Tom Morris Trail. This is something you experienced over the summer. So I want to start, though. When did you become interested, obsessed? you know, putting part of your career towards old Tom Morris and young Tom Morris? Well, I was in the newspaper game. I was working at the San Francisco Chronicle as the managing editor. And it was already clear to me that there was so much disruption in the industry. We're talking 2004, 2005 now, that 
you know, I was still fairly young and I, I didn't see a way where I was going to get to 65 as a happy newspaper editor. So <laughs> I thought that I better need a plan for another kind of life. And I decided I was obsessed by golf as anybody who ever plays golf is. And I, I just started, I had this idea that I'm going to do golf history. I'm going to write about golf history when I retire. And now I'm going to start reading about golf history to prepare myself. So I started reading books like a crazy person. Uh, I ordered the classics of golf library and read all 69 of those and then just kept right on reading. And uh, so I did retire in 2012. And uh, but it was 2005 that, you know, I was so far into it by then I had to go to St. Andrews, went there, saw the statue of young Tommy in the in the churchyard there. And I thought, wow. So here's a kid, a working class kid in the most class conscious society, probably at least as as conscious as Britain's ever known. And all these rich men reach into their own pocket to build this giant monument to him. Why is that? So I thought, there's the story. I'll start with that story. And that led me down a million pathways. But one of them was, uh, you know, wanting to go to Scotland as many times as I possibly could. Was there any pull with the Tiger effect? I mean, going in 05, watching it open at St. Andrews, obviously with what Tiger had done in 2000 and you being involved in the media at the time, was there any part of Tiger attracting you to an open championship at the old course? Well, yes. In the, in the one sense that Tiger, it's obvious he's one of the immortals of all time. And when I really started researching young Tommy, it was clear to me that he was an immortal and that in a lot of ways he was Tiger. He was the first Tiger. You know, when he came along, he caused such a sensation that the game began to grow really significantly for the first time outside of Scotland. And, you know, that was not only because of him, but just in the way that Tiger moved the game forward by lifting it up on his shoulders and just carrying it into a new age. That's what he did. And uh, and so that's how I started to become. Yes, Tiger had that effect on it. You know, you, you talk about being obsessed with golf and then diving into the history of golf. And I feel like I've been in a similar situation in my life and my career was I was a golfer, right? I mean, I grew up playing and I liked the sport and I liked the competition of it. And I eventually led into other things involved in and around golf. But I feel like it took me a little bit of time to get into the, the obsessive nature of the history of golf and people like Andy Johnson at the fried egg and the no laying up boys. And some of those guys have kind of opened my mind up. Jeff Shackelford, another that comes to mind, have kind of opened my mind up to this whole other world of golf. And that is, you know, the architects of it, the history of it in Scotland, and you start to look and play it even in a different way. Did you feel like that was kind of your path was first you, you edited it, you wrote about it, you read about it. And then all of a sudden this whole world opened up for you. Definitely. The first time I ever went to Scotland, that was a revelation about the game, you know, because the game in the United States is such a different game than the game in Scotland. And but it isn't so much that as, you know, it's a ground game there and it's an air game here. But the thing about it is you realize that in Scotland, golf is a birthright. Every single person plays golf just about. And uh, the courses themselves belong to the people. You know, the Royal and Ancient Golf Club might play over the links of St. Andrews, but it does not in any way own the links of St. Andrews. One of the greatest things to golf is to go to St. Andrews on a Sunday and watch everybody having a picnic in the Valley of Sin. You know, it's just it's something that it's almost difficult to grasp as an American. And also almost every single private club on that side of the pond, you can go play it if you if you're if you have enough money and you have, uh, you know, time to plan ahead. 
whereas that isn't true in the United States. So it's just a very different kind of game there. And that has always been a huge attraction to me, the nature of golf in Scotland and the Scottish people themselves. So how many trips now have you gone on? How many Scottish golf trips has Stephen Proctor gone on if you date back to kind of the 0405 timeline? I've been to Scotland four times. Okay. Uh, the first time in 2005, I went uh, north to the links of Dornock Tour based nice. on the Herbert mm-hmm. Warren win story. We started in St. Andrews and we played our way all along the coast up to Dornick and then up to Brewer, and we played there. So that was a spectacular introduction. I came back in 2015 as a guest of the Horschel family. Uh, Billy Horschel's father is one of my one of my golf buddies. And when he was in the open, they, they kept a room for me in their flat because they knew I was deep into this book about Tommy. <laughs> so I could do some research. And then Billy and I went and played golf afterwards uh, at Presswick and a number of other places. So I played five or six courses that time. And then uh, I came this past June, uh, which was the absolute ultimate trip any person could ever have, which was play the whole of the old Con Morris Trail. Uh, and uh, excuse me, I skipped 2019. My book came out in 2019, the Tommy book. So I went to speak uh, a few places there and also to play golf. And uh, so this was my fourth trip, but this trip was beyond anything that, that you could conceive of. Uh, it was just spectacular in a, in a way that was hard to imagine. Uh, all over Scotland and the courses that it includes are just unreal. So there's 18 golf courses on this old Tom Morris trail. I'm looking at some of the names. I've played some of them. I mean, you know, you've got Doorknock on there. You've got Nairn on there, Walker Cup Post, and a, a place I was actually a member of for about a year before the pandemic. Carnoustie, the old course, the new course, Muirfield, North Berwick. I mean, there are some golf courses on here, Prestwick, that every golf person has heard of. But there's some places, kind of, kind of sneaky golf courses on here that are just lovely walks that maybe the typical American golfer's not going to stumble on when they go over there and play. I've got a chance to play a couple of them. Which of the courses on the old Tom Morris trail kind of blew you away that maybe you didn't know a whole bunch about before you played it? A lot of them, Shane, honestly. (laughs) But I think the thing that is the heart of the old Tom Morris trail, I mean, obviously it's meant to show you a cross-section of Scottish golf and in particular a cross-section of courses that old Tom created or had some big hand in creating. And, you know, obviously a lot of those are championship links and those are great to play. But if you really want to meet Scottish golfers and play Scottish golf, you know, uh, which is it's no more, you know, playing the old course in St. Andrews is no more playing Scottish golf than playing Pine Valley in the United States represents typical golf in the United States. And, And that analogy needs to be kept in mind. But two places absolutely blew my mind completely, which first and foremost, Ashkernish. Askernis is in the Outer Hebrides in the island of South Uist. You know, I'm, I'm really into the history. So for me, it was a particularly wonderful experience. It's literally to step out of your car and walk into a time capsule where the course looks and plays and is groomed precisely the way it was in 1891 when old Tom laid it out. And that experience is so eye-opening about how hard golf was uh, in the age of these players, people like young Tom, to be able to get around the 12-hole Presswick course in 47 strokes with the kind of conditions that you see when you play Ashkernish and the weapons and the wind. So that was spectacular. Makrahanish, always a mystical place ever since it was conceived. Horace Hutchinson in his books wrote like how it was such a mystical place and obviously Bambergers to the Lynx land. 
has made it a, a mythical destination. But that's probably one of the two or three finest natural stretch of links land there is anywhere in the world. And it's a spectacular golf course. So those two, for starters. All right, where was your first round of Lynx golf played? What, what your first ever round of Lynx golf was played on what course? One of the gyms that we, were, that we want to discuss, Crail. I played nice. my first round of golf ever in Scotland at Crail. And that was a life-changing experience in this way. Is that like every American, I had grown up with the idea that golf is about how far you can hit it. You know, it's about working every day to gain more length, whatever it is. You know, I'm, I'm not a person who's ever been a great athlete or ever been super long, but that was always your goal. Get more limber, get faster, get longer. You know, that, that was the game. But then when I played Crail, it was like, there's this whole other kind of golf, what I like to call sporting golf. It's not about how far you hit it. It's about how cunning you are and how many shots you have in your bag, different kinds of shots, particularly on or around the green. And that kind of golf has been my mainstay ever since that day. Yeah. You, you know, I, so it's now kind of been a, a bit of a famous story. I went over to the open this year and lost my golf clubs and it was kind of this social media thing that, that took off and a lady found them and brought them to me in St. Andrews. But I actually played some golf earlier in the week without my golf clubs. They'd been lost by the airline and I played Crail and Ely. And I played a few of these places with rental clubs, North Barrick as well. And I feel like stateside, if I'd have been headed to Bandon Dunes or Pinehurst or Pine Valley or Long Island, and I didn't have my golf clubs, it would have really hurt my trip. You know, I mean, I would have been extremely yep. bummed out. And to your point, Stephen, when you go over there, the idea of golf is so different that it's not about how far you hit it. It's not about the lines you take. It's simply how many strokes can you get it in the hole? And that's not even on a particular hole because one hole might be playing directly in a 50 mile an hour wind. And one hole might be playing downwind. And, hey, if I get in in eight shots in those two holes, I've done a pretty good job. I actually really enjoyed the experience of playing with regular shafted, whippy rental clubs because, again, it made me look at the game differently considering I was playing different golf to begin with. Yeah, I played Crail this time with hickory clubs. Uh, I've gotten into playing with <laughs> Another hickory step. clubs uh, from time to time. And uh, that is a, it's a great course for that. Because obviously when you're playing the hickory clubs, you're even less long than you were playing modern clubs. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's perfect for the run-up shots and things that you can really perfect with some of those old weapons. So uh, that was my first place I ever played, and I love Crayol. I love Ely, too, also. All right, if you had to give an old Tom Morris comp to modern golf, who would the modern golf comp be to old Tom Morris? Oh, boy, that is a great question, Shane. Uh, maybe Ben Crenshaw. Uh, ben Crenshaw is, is like a font of wisdom about golf. He's, uh, you know, old Tom was not a highly schooled person, but he had the knowledge of centuries uh, in the older tradition of oral tradition. Whereas Ben, as I understand that I've never had the pleasure of meeting him, uh, has one of the great golf libraries in the world. And as far as I can tell, is extremely well read into all the dimensions of golf, architecture, history, everything. Uh, he also has that very winning demeanor that Tom had where everyone respects and likes Ben Crenshaw. So that might be my modern pick, Ben Crenshaw as old Tom. And, and you mentioned young Tom had a little bit of tiger in him in terms of the way he approached it. Would that be the comp that way? Yes, definitely. Tiger and, um, well, you know, the other person that in a modern sense that I think is a lot like Tommy is Seve Ballesteros. Okay. Because basically Tommy's approach to golf was like, I fear nothing. 
uh, I go all out on every shot. And if I see a risky play that's going to give me a reward, I'm going to take it. So, for instance, John Laidley, famous amateur, is watching Tommy at Musselboro. One of the holes at Musselboro has a dirt path that runs along the left side, a cart path, uh, which is hard as baked hard and everything like that in the summertime. All the players are avoiding like the plague because you might run into a cart track and get stuck. Tommy aims directly for it. It's like tin cup style. Going after the tin cup effect. Exactly. Who cares where it lands? It'll be a million miles down there. You know, and I think Seve was a lot like that. And also Tommy had uh, extraordinary powers of recovery from dangerous situations like Seve did. And uh, but the main thing for Tommy was he was the greatest putter of his age by a lot. He would actually make a putt of 40 feet, look at his caddy and say, pick it out of the hole, laddie, and then just walk over to the next tee while it's rolling. So he didn't walk him in. He walked off. That's different. He, he had Casey Wittenberg level uh, confidence yeah. with it. If you remember the Casey Wittenberg U.S. Amateur run from back in the day, I think that was 03. Which, uh, which of the courses on the trail had you not played before this summer? Well, I played 11 of them first, and seven okay. of them I hadn't okay. played, which was Makrahanish, Askernish, Tain. Tain is another beautiful course set along the Dornick Firth, very easily accessible from Dornick itself. Lovely little course. I hadn't played Cullen, which is probably one of the biggest surprises. You probably saw the no laying up trip there. It just they were besotted with it. How could you not be? It's just like it's crazy times, but it's wonderful. I hadn't played Murray Old. I hadn't played your favorite course, Nairn, which I thought was absolutely exquisite. But I really like Murray, too. Murray is right next to a RAF base. So okay. like you're coming off the first tee and you might like get a flyover as if you were a celebrity. <laughs> that actually happened to me. We. We hit our tee shots and we're walking off the first tee and here come the jets flying low over top of the course. And I happened to be playing with the captain of the club, Joe Mackelman. And he said, well, we set that up for you, Stephen. But uh, <laughs> they do fly over there on a regular basis. And I think it's cool. You know, I grew up with the Blue Angels near Annapolis. So uh, it was a, kind of a little flicker of nostalgia for home. When you talk to people about making a trip, you know, across the pond, I mean, you're going to go to Ireland, you're going to go to Scotland, you're going to go to England, you're going to go over there and play some real links golf. And you look at the old Tom Morris trail and, and you can check it all out. I mean, we've had ads running on it, old Tom trail.com, but I mean, it's 18 golf courses. It's a big undertaking for a group of people going over there to play it. How would you suggest doing it? Would it be take a week and a half off of work? You go over there and play all 18 and enjoy your time. Would you say split them up and go over there? a couple summers in a row. How would you say is the best That's, approach? For I think taking the latter is probably the best. I okay. did it. It took a month to do it. A month. A month. So because there's a lot of travel involved, you know, and also nowadays, you know, tee times are a little more difficult to obtain at some right. of the bigger championship courses. So it's another great reason to go play real Scottish golf. So I, I, um, I spent one month doing it and I was on the road or playing almost every day. Now, I'm too old to play twice in the same day, so that's a, that's a certain restriction. So you could do it a lot less time if you're prepared to do 36 a day, uh, which, which I wasn't prepared to do. But I would say this. I would break it into sections. Like, for instance, you could do a trip to the Murray Coast. The Murray Firth is beautiful, has gorgeous weather. You could uh, start at Dornock, travel all along the Murray Coast. You play Tane, you play Nairn, you play... Uh, Murray Old, you play Cullen, the fabulous course, you, and you end your trip at Cruden Bay. That's one way of doing it. 
you know, another thing that I like as an opportunity to do it, and it takes in some of my favorite of the smaller courses on the whole trail, which is go to uh, East Lothian. So Park and Gullen. Gullen is like almost as golfy a town as St. Andrews. It's absolutely fabulous. And uh, go there, play Dunbar, which is Dunbar has to be the skinniest strip of Lynx land. Uh, <laughs> it can't be more than 80 yards wide from end to end. But the golf on it is absolutely magnificent. And the views are absolutely to die for. So play Dunbar, play Luffness New. You know, one of my old heroes is Freddie Tate, uh, the great Scottish golfer who died young in the Boer War. He was a founding member of Luffness New. And if you go and do their very traditional jacket and tie lunch, which is a fabulous afternoon, uh, they have unbelievable amount of Freddie Tate memorabilia everywhere. It's a really great experience. You can do North Berwick there too. You can add on non-old Tom Morse courses like the ones at Gullen are all fabulous, all three of them. And you could play Muirfield too if you if you can get a tea time. Uh, in Gullen, I heard people referring to Muirfield as Gullen number four uh, because it's pretty <laughs> much an extension of the same Lynx land nice. enclosed by a, a stone wall there at, at, at Muirfield. But some of the uh, sharp-eyed locals like to call it Gullen number four, which I thought was funny. So it sounds like, Stephen, you're – I'm similar to you in the sense that I went to Scotland at a young age and fell in love with Lynx golf. And it's an easy thing to do. I mean, I, I had a couple of my buddies in the journalism world that came to the open this year and we played golf in the evenings and, he, and they'd never been over there before. And it was, you know, it was a pinch me. Why have I not done this sooner in my life? The one thing I battle, and, and I'd like to hear your, your advice on this, is when I come back stateside, how do I find that same love and appreciation and interest in American Parkland golf courses that you find when you go to Scotland and not just play the championship places? I mean, everybody wants to play the old course and Kings Barnes and Nairn and Cruden Bay, right? But yep. even, you know, the Tains of the world, which I've had an opportunity to play, and you go out there and you're just blown away by how brilliant the golf course is. How do you come back home and find the same love for golf that you find when you go to Scotland? I'm still searching for the answer to that question, Shane. Uh, but, you know, I also have – I live in Florida, and I, I like living in Florida in the main, but I would say uh, architecturally, the golf in Florida is less interesting than it is in other places by virtue of the fact that there's very little to do with the land that's dead flat. Right. So it's a little hard there. You know, I try every so often to work in uh, – you know, a fun architectural experience in the United States. And there's a lot of great architecture in the United States. I like to go up and take a weekend at Pinehurst, not necessarily to play number two, but Southern Pines, Mid Pines, they're, they're a little more affordable. And they are also, that's inspiring golf experiences. So I try to, you know, a little place like Aiken, South Carolina, I'd love to get there. I hear that course is like magical. So I try to follow the advice of the fried egg. The fried egg has a lot of great stuff on lower level, uh, brilliantly designed golf courses like Fort Myers Country Club, for instance, the old Donald Ross course there. I don't know how that did in the hurricane. I'm sure not very well, but, um, you know, so, so I try to find architectural gems to enjoy here and, and in that same way. It's a little harder, honestly, but uh, it's just because you, you can't recreate the society that is Scottish golf. Right, right, right. If you bring all the Scotsmen back with you. It might be okay. <laughs> but, but, you know, they, they have a different approach to it, and they have a love for it that is different than the way people love golf here. Well, it's like you said, it, it's you're, you're just born into it. I mean, it really – you don't have much of an option. I mean, as a kid, you're playing with your parents. 
you know, when you get a little bit older, you're playing in university. And then when you get out of college, it's where am I going to play around my local town? Where am I going to play by my house? And it's just so affordable and it's so open and inviting and it doesn't push you away. I mean, I think we're trying so hard stateside to make golf feel a, a little less snooty than it's been the last, let's yes. say, 100 years. But uh, and but we're still not quite there yet and it's still it doesn't feel like there's just an open invite you know it doesn't feel like the tee sheet is yours and when you're in scotland whatever town you're in whatever course you're playing they really feel like they really want you to come experience the golf course and you know what the other thing shane is i think americans love golf as a conquest whereas the scots love golf as a game when you play golf in scotland there will never be a single person when you walk off the golf course who asks you what you scored they will only ask you, how did you like our course? What did you think of our course? You know, they care about their course, their town, their environment. They, they don't, I, a lot of times when I play with Scotsmen, they're not even keeping score. You know, the score is not something that really matters to them. Now, you almost, you, you never go out with a Scotsman without a game of some kind. Right. It's usually a game that, you know, even an infant could keep score. 18 holes, who won the most? <laughs> You know, so it's not like everybody's walking around with a card and pencil jotting down 87 notes about how they played and, and how many putts they had or whatever. So it's just a different view of the game. And, and that I find I find that uh, inspiring. And I, and I love Scottish golf for that reason. Yeah, I love the idea of it, of it not feeling like a conquest all the time. I got to go out there and shoot my best number. I mean, I laugh a lot of the time and I understand it, right? I go on a golf trip with buddies of mine that had never been to these places. And even if we're playing a match, even if we're playing two on two match play in, in, in a sense, they still want their score. So if their putt doesn't matter, they're out of the hole, they're still going to putt it out. And again, I understand that. I understand wanting to say I shot 81 at Bandon Dunes or you yeah. know I shot 79 at Aaron Hills. I get that because again, it's ingrained in me. The funniest part and I've mentioned this on the podcast before Stephen, but the funniest part is anytime I go on a golf trip and there's a par 3 course or it's the last day and everybody's a little exhausted and we do alt shot, everybody seems to have the most fun on the trip because again, that grind goes away. Yeah, alternate shot. Interestingly, Shane, you may or may not know this. But that was the only way the game was played for about 400 years. And, uh, you know, and part of the reason that Scotland is the way it is, is that it was always a team game. You know, it wasn't ever an individual score game. They only did that because it was the only way you could give the medal out in a single day was to keep score. They otherwise no one wanted to keep score, or had any interest in keeping score. Uh, and it was the English who first came in. And Horace Hutchinson writes about this in a hysterical way about how the English kept their score in a match. So they're playing the Scots in a match and they're putting out and they're keeping score. And it's like, it's almost like slow playing them. It's like driving them out of their mind. <laughs> what are you doing? This is not, you're keeping your score. What's the matter with you? But so once the game left Scotland, it started evolving. And obviously America has had, by virtue of volume and numbers, the biggest influence on the game of any country. And I guess everybody would have different opinions as to whether that's been favorable or unfavorable. But, uh, but anyway, they, there's no doubt that it's true. Steven, I really appreciate it. I appreciate the chat. Can you tell people um, where they can find your work, where they can pick up your books, where they can uh, read what you've done? Certainly. Uh, my books are both sold on Amazon. Uh, they Basically, they're a two-part story that tell you in a narrative, easy-to-read way, the history of golf and its great players up until the First World War, starting uh, with the, the coming of young Tommy. So the first book is called Monarch of the Green, and that's a life of Tommy Morris Jr. 
And the second book is called The Long Golden Afternoon, which essentially begins with John Ball winning the Open in 1890. They're both available on Amazon. Uh, I, you know, I, I believe that the average golfer, even if you're not a big time reader, you'll find these books easy to read and fun to read. And obviously um, at S. Proctor Golf. And if you don't mind, Shane, I did want to mention one really cool thing about the old Tom Moore Street. For sure. They have coins which uh, bear the logo of every golf club. And on the back of it is a portrait of old Tom. So each time you complete a course, if you're traveling with Bonnie Wee Golf and they're taking care of your accommodations, which you can't beat, they're fabulous, you get a, a coin for your, for your collection. And you can, of course, if you arrange it on your own or go with another tour operator, obviously that, that's doable too. You can purchase a coin. So I'm looking forward to January when the Bonnie Wee Golf team is going to come to PGA Tour show to getting my whiskey cask with my 18 coins in it. Nice. The only person to complete the old Tom Morris trail, except for the founder. So uh, <laughs> I, I did want to squeeze that in because I think it's one of the cooler parts of it. And I know a lot of a lot of golfers love those coins. Uh, you know what? I mean, it, it's such a smart thing to do. I remember I went on a on a trip with my family years ago. We went to the west coast of Italy, and you can hike around Cinque Terre, you know, the five towns of Cinque Terre, and they give yeah. out a little bead. And my mom and my aunt did it the first day, and the third town shop was closed that day. So I was going to go the next day. Mom's like, whatever you do please get my bead. I need my bead. You know, I've got to, I've got to complete my collection. By the way, we got to get our good boys, original fellas on a, on the, on the coins, because that could be a really cool painting as well for the wall. That's something we'll, we'll chat with, but Steven, I really appreciate the time. Always, uh, always appreciate your work and a uh, great chatting with you. Thanks Shane. It was great that you had me on. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. A big thanks to Stephen for the time. Uh, great chat about Scottish golf and the old Tom Morris trail. Hope you guys are, I hope this just, you know what I hope this does? I hope this gets you fired up and excited for golf travel in 2023. I'm assuming, you know, it's mid to late November when you're listening to this. I'm assuming your golf travel's probably been done for the year. But for next year, if you're teeter-tottering on when you're going to go or where you're going to go, maybe this pushes you in the right direction. A reminder that the old Tom Morris Trail, that can be checked out at oldtommorristrail.com. And you can check out all 18 courses on the trail. We'll be back with you next week. Hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving week. Get a grip with Shane Bacon is a production of iHeartRadio.